0: Dvargh. My microphone is it working? Yeah, yes it is. Okay. Good you're doing great, I, you. good I want to dedicate our story tonight to the of Rabbi Kasharman's mother. who's passed away last week. Her name is Zivar Bas Racham Zahaya. Shama shel Haven She should be good to better on behalf of their whole family of as The story I'm going to share with you tonight, is an incredible story about the origins of the famous tzaddikim. It's a really long one. And it's about the how they became who they were. Before we get to the story, I just want to um, point out something. Uh, when people think about the Bal a lot of people think that the Baal Shem Tov wanted to uh, change Judaism, Chas Shalom wanted to subtract from Torah. But the truth is the Baal Shem Tov didn't take anything away from Torah. Instead, the Baal Shem Tov sought to, um, never gonna happen, right? The friend will never take away from Torah. Instead, he just brought into Torah joy and light and depth, but Chas didn't take away from Torah. It's interesting. Uh, when the Malshemtiv first introduced the path of Hasidus, so there was in the year 1650 and 1750, um, there was 1764. There was this group called the uh, Vad Arba Haratzes. It was what was called the Council of the Four Lands, and every Jewish community had a representative in this council. And many rosh yeshivas from the around, and many and many coming up, and many. Many um, questions about halacha and other things were decided at the Council of the Four Lands, called the Council of the Four Lands because it included Little Poland, Greater Poland, Polonia, and Glitzia, uh, Volinia, and Galicia. And because the Valshemtiv's novel approach seemed to many people as being a, a, against Torah, they sent messengers to the Valshemtiv to to see if this, his path is indeed against Torah or not, and Baal Shem Tev told them that while they are trying to explore the Torah of the mind, Baal Shem Tev wants to reveal the Torah of the heart. And he chastised the messengers of after after proving his position for two days and day and night, discussing with them his position. He chastised them because he said, according to Torah, there's a rule, Shamoa Bein Acheichem. Shamoah means order for a judge to pass judgment, you have to have all parties present. You can't pass judgment when you're by yourself. You have to, the plaintiff and defendant have to both be around for you to be able to administer judgment. So while Shem Tov said, how could they possibly say whether my path is correct against Torah or not against Torah if I'm not there to defend it? And therefore he asked to arrange for a a place where he could speak to all the greater Torah giants and defend his position. And Baal Shem Tov told him, we're learning a lot about Avicenna every week, so the, the Shem Tov told him something incredible about this verse, this verse which literally means, Listen among your brothers. Baal Shem Tov said, Shamoya means a, a talent, a chush, a spiritual sensitivity to hear. If someone is blessed with a spiritual sensitivity to hear God's love, then Bain, bein doesn't just mean between, bein also means to understand, then he understands his brothers, he understands the virtue of the Jewish people. If you have a spiritual ear, a spiritual sensitivity in your ears, you can hear the love of God for the Jewish people and the greatness of the Jewish people. And there's a second interpretation of bein achichem. Bein achichem means to be connected with people. When you when you appreciate how great other people are, how great our people is, then you it makes you connected with people. And then the Balshemtiv said conversely, in order to have that spiritual ear, that spiritual sensitivity to hear the value of other people and to hear God's love for each of us, you get that by being connected with other Jews. Anyways, they were impressed with the Balshemtiv, but they asked them a question. They said to the Balshemtiv, "You only have sixty students." In our yeshivas, we have thousands and thousands of students. So what is your power greater than our power? Why should why should we pay attention to you? So Dalshamtav gave him the following analogy. Is a person could plant a vineyard or plant a field and plant it in a way that there's no empty space. Every single inch is planted. And that and another way of doing it is that you plant only a few things, but you pay attention to water everything in the right time, and to prune, and to plow. So, what Shem Tov said, that when you plant every detail, every every inch of the soil, so what happens is, is that you, you grow a lot, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of wormy uh, vegetables and fruit that grow too, and what happens also is, is that these seeds of these wormy vegetable fruit produce more of the same, versus when you pay attention to and plant and, and water and irrigate a few plants a few a few uh, uh, smaller amounts so then you make sure it grows and it continues to grow for generation after generation. So the, the, the story they are going to share, if you plant it very carefully right then you, the, it causes it to not only to grow but it causes the offspring of those of those things that you grew to to continue on and on and you see in our generation you see, so many years after Balshem, in the story I'm going to share with you about the origins of Rabmel Khlavajansk and Zusha Vannipoli, you see how his teachings really caused a revolution that continues to reverberate and impact Jews all over the world till this day. So, but again, the Balshamteh didn't change anything. Instead, he brought out an inner beauty and depth to our Torah. He didn't subtract from Torah. Hasidus is Judaism plus, not minus. Here's a story. There was a very simple man, a very God-fearing man, whose name was Rabbi Eliezer Lippe. His father, his name was, was Ramelech, Elimelech, was a great genius in Torah. Thanks. He's a great genius in Torah, and he knew the Talmud by heart. He knew Tosfos and Rashi by heart, and Despite his great knowledge in Torah, he never at all sh- showed off. In fact, he never would speak to people about, about Torah. And he and his wife were blessed with a child, Rebbe Lezalippah. And she, unfortunately, she passed away in childbirth. And her husband, Rabbi Melech, passed away a year after her son was born. So now Rebbe Lippe was sent to his uncle's house, to uh, stay. And his uncle was very busy with business, he had no time to, to teach his, his adopted son, his nephew, Abul Yezulipah. Abu Yezulipah was very ignorant in Torah. He didn't really know any Torah at all. And he also married a woman who was also an orphan. She, was, she grew up, though, in a, in a rabbi's home. She was raised by a rabbi uh, in the city of uh, Tarnov, Galicia. Asked they both were from, so she knew quite a lot of halacha, but she didn't really know much more. She didn't know how to read, for example. And they were blessed. They married, and they were blessed with a child. Their first child's name was Eli Melech. He named his son after his father, and they were named. another child, Mushum Their children were yeah, very um, weak. Their bodies were physically very weak. How were they physically weak? But they were also working. Um, I don't know. Actually, working. Some, if, if you're not speaking, if you're not asking a question, it's better to mute yourself. Could, could, um... Anyway, so they, as children, they were very weak physically, and they're also very weak in their minds. They could not understand Torah. And that bothered their parents very much because both their parents knew that they came from great Torah scholars and, and a lineage of Torah scholars, and it bothered them that their children could not understand the Torah. Now, Rab Eliezer Lippa, he knew business. He grew up around the businessmen and he knew how to do business. But he had once heard in the synagogue that Rab Gedalia was between Menachan and he was teaching some Agadatai, teaching some of the stories of the Talmud. And he mentioned how God, it's very precious to God when a person earns their livelihood from the effort of their own hands. So because of that, Reb Eliezer Lippa decided not to get into business. Instead, he became a water carrier. The Baal Shemtiv at this time, he used to dress up like a simple person, like a poor person. He used to travel from city to city. And he used to inspire people. He used to tell people about the great pleasure God has when people would say to him with sincerity and how precious it is to God. So in this city of Rabbi Eliezer Lippa, there were four wealthy people who would pay him more than the uh, average person. They, they were wealthier and they would pay him considerably more than the other people and because he had these four clients he was doing pretty good. He had a friend named Reb Zalmendoev. Reb, Zalmandav, Reb Zalmandav, he supplied the water for various synagogues and there was one time that Abeliezer was walking in the marketplace and he sees Rabbi Zalman Deib and a few of his friends are listening to this poor man. He didn't know this poor man was the Baal Shemtiv. And no worries, Shalmi, your mic's not on, it's alcohol. So, the, um, so the, they uh, they hear the Baal Shemtiv. They do not know what's Baal Shemtiv, he's dressed like a poor man. The Baal Shemtiv tells them the following story. He said there was once a man, a very wealthy man, who donated a ox to the base of Migdash. He wanted to bring a sacrifice to God. He donated this beautiful big healthy ox to the temple and everyone was excited about it except for the ox. The ox didn't want to go. It was a huge strong ox and they couldn't get the ox to move. This poor guy is walking past them and he has this bag of groceries of vegetables and he sees the tumult and he decides he's, he knows a way to help them, to get the ox to the temple. So He goes over to the ox, he, he, he puts the vegetables puts a lettuce and whatever it was in front of the ox's mouth the ox went for it he started leading the ox towards the base towards the temple and successfully the ox is brought there and the ox is brought as a sacrifice the rich man is very happy to bring the sacrifice to god he invited his friends and his family and all the kohanim all the priests in the temple were also happy because they're all going to partake of this great stake of this great sacrifice and that night the rich man has a dream and in his dream God tells him that he has more satisfaction from, from this poor person's vegetables, from his, from his gift, than from this big sacrifice that he gave. And that really resonated with Rebbe Lezalip because the continued and said that God goes over to the angels. When a Jew does something sincerely for God, God goes over to the angels and says to the angels, Look at my child. Look what my child has done for me. God, so to speak, brags to all the angels and says, look what my child has done for me. So this really touched Rabbi Yezalip. And he couldn't get this story out of his mind. It gnawed at him for weeks, one week, two weeks, three weeks. He's thinking about the story. And he thought of a plan, what he could do for God. He decided that he's going to make a exchange with uh, Rabbi Zalman Daif. Uh, exactly the opposite of a Huckleberry Finn kind of story. He goes over to Razal Mendoev and he says to Razal Mendoev, you know, you have these four synagogues. I have these four wealthy clients to pay me 50% of what I earn. Let's switch. I'll take over the four synagogues and supply water for the synagogues and you supply water for these four wealthy clients of mine. I argue with that. That's, That's what he wanted to do when he told us, he first asked his wife and she was very happy about this as well. So, he did this because he told his wife that the Hashem had said, in his own words, he said these words to, to his wife, Hashem said, a Jew can bring a sacrifice to God. Liz, we should do something, what could we do for God? This, this is what he did. He decided to give up his wealthy client so he should be able to um, do this for Hashem. Now, uh, he also decided, he and his wife, they would, she didn't know how to read. And she would go with him sometimes to, to to have the merits to be part of this great mitzvah of bringing water to the synagogues. And they would go together. And he would say words of Psalms together with his wife. And they would cry together. She didn't know how to read. So he would say the words of Tehillim, LaMatzayah, Dov, and she would repeat it after him. Together they would cry and ask God that God should open up the minds of their children to understand the Torah. Chaimushka, by the way, Chaimushka, I just want to let you know that we can hear you. I just want to let you know. Okay. Anyways, so. Uh, so, I raise a mirror, they can hear you too, so pay attention. So what happens is, is that um, they're crying, not only they're crying and praying, praying together, he, would, he and his wife would fast very often not eat anything in order to be able to give the value of what they, of what they would have used to buy food to give it to charity. And every Arab Shabbos, Every Friday, his wife would bake two and give it out to the poor, and they merit their two children. God should open up their eyes to the Torah study. She would light two candles, bring the two candles to the shul, so the God should light up her children's minds and hearts to Torah study. And this is the way they lived. And Baruch Hashem, her son, Zusha, turned 13, and her son, Elimelech, turned 18, they want to go to yeshiva, and they send them off to yeshiva, and they took, instead of their children, two children who didn't have anyone to take care of them. And they supported them and they brought them to school and they brought them to the Torah. And they saw that their efforts paid off. And the, Melech and Zusha, their minds started to understand Torah, right? And they really, really appreciated God's gift. One day, Rabbi Zelyezer Lippa is going to draw water. And his wife wasn't with him at the time. And it was Friday, Friday morning. He draws water. And in the water, there was this huge fish. Ah, oh, great fish for Shabbos. He brings the fish home to his wife. And he gives the wife the fish. And he and the two boys that he adopted go to the mikveh. They go prepare themselves to wash themselves for Shabbos in the town uh Mikveh. And when they come back, they see his wife is very, very upset. Why is she upset? she found in the belly of the fish a diamond, a huge diamond. And she was very upset. Why was she upset? Because she says, now you're going to want to go and you are going to do business. And you always told me that Abgedalia told you once that God has great pleasure from a person studying Torah, from working with his own hands and and the festival, from a person working and benefiting from the work of his hands. So you told him it's not true. I, I don't want to go into business but also, I don't know what we should do with this great diamond. What are you supposed to do about it? And they were both upset about this discovery of the diamond. So it's Shabbos. Shabbos is Shabbos. And he ignores his, his problem with discover having now this new diamond to worry about. And he and his wife and the children, they sing the songs of Shabbos. They're very excited. But Shabbos is over. He makes Abdullah, And he's very upset again. What is he going to do about the diamond? And his wife told him a story that she had heard. She had heard a lot of stories and a lot of halachas growing up in the house of this rabbi. She had heard about this great tzaddik who had prayed to God to alleviate him from his poverty and they got a gift from God, this golden leg, golden leg of a table. And at first they were very happy to get this, but then his wife had a dream and in her dream she saw that, uh, that this golden leg was missing. In their temple in heaven, in their table in heaven, they were eating together at a table in heaven, and there was four golden legs in everyone else's table, but their table only had three golden legs. So she asked her husband, please pray to God, take back the golden leg, we don't want to be missing out in heaven. So she told her husband, we don't want to be missing out, I don't know why God is testing us with this, we don't want to have this wealth, please go to the rabbi, find out what we need to do. So she went. To the, he went to the rabbi, and the rabbi said that halachically, this belongs to them completely, but they could do with it as they pleased and they could give it to charity as well. And they were very happy, they were able to give this to charity, and they divided half of the uh, value of this stone to support people studying Torah, and the others to poor people. His wife had said to him that she remembers a story, apparently a story about Rashi's father. The Rashi's father was once in a boat, and he and he had this precious stone and there's a whole story how Rashi's father was uh, asked by this nobleman to give this precious stone to be put into an idol, and ordered not to be tested to sell the stone or not, whether he, it, that he shouldn't be challenged whether by the money that the nobleman was going to offer him for this stone to put in his idol, Rashi's father threw the stone out of the ship. So she told her husband, this is what we need to do. God is testing us. We don't want this test. We want to give it away and give it away fast, and in that merit, God should bless her children to be able to understand the Torah. And the good news is that it really worked. Her children became the famous (inaudible) Hadikim. the story story expresses how you give something to Hashem with sincerity, with with your heart, with devotion, so Hashem pays back, and Hashem blesses you and your family, your children, they should be the way they're supposed to. If that's a story you wanted to share tonight. Any questions, comments, criticism, tomatoes, and cucumbers? Razor Mill is my biggest fan. She likes my jokes. Thank you, Rabbi. <laughs> good luck, Good David. Good luck, Good luck, Yonatan. Good luck, Shalom. Good luck, Yavisif. Good luck, Yonatan. Good luck, Yavisif. Good luck. Good luck, good luck. Good luck, Good luck.